Welcome to the High Prices Church Podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Now, here's lead pastor, Chris Sestar. Just remain standing in reverence to the word. Psalm 142. It's a short psalm, about seven verses. I'm going to read verses four through seven. While you're turning there, I want to say something I probably don't say enough. But I want to say it. I felt led to say it this morning. I appreciate each week the opportunity to stand before you and preach to you and minister to you. I do. And I appreciate you coming to be here and listen to me preach. It, it humbles me and it honors me. And, and that you would place yourself under my ministry and lean on me to pour into you. I don't take that lightly. I don't at all. You don't know how serious I take it. And so I just thank you so much for allowing me to have this opportunity. Uh, Psalm 142. Let's begin at verse 4. David wrote this psalm. We're going to be talking about him in a minute. And I know we've sung and worship. It's a quarter to 11, so I guess that gives me till 12, so we're okay. Look on my right hand and see For there is no one who acknowledges me. Refuge has failed me. Look at this. I titled the message from this phrase in this psalm. No one cares for my soul. I cried out to you, O Lord. And I said, you are my refuge. My portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they're stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise your name. How many of you know if God does something for you, you ought to praise him? Look at this. The righteous shall surround me, and you're going to deal bountifully with me goes from the lowest point by the time he finishes he's having a praise break I love it can you say amen to the reading of God's word amen you can be seated this morning let me ask you a question I got a couple questions I want to ask you let me ask you a question have you ever had somebody turn on you you ever had it happen I have at one time that person was your friend but something happened and Maybe to some degree, some degrees greater than others, they became your adversary, your enemy. At the least, you got on opposite sides of issues. This is what happened between Saul and David. So if you don't know who these people are, Saul was the first king of Israel. David was the second king of Israel. But David was more than that. David was Saul's son-in-law. He's the king of Israel, but David is his son-in-law, and he's his best warrior, and he's family, and he's making Saul look good and winning battles and helping consolidate his kingdom, but Saul was not spiritual like David was, not as spiritual as he should be, and he disobeyed God, and he sinned, and when he did, God rejected him, and he chose David to be Israel's next king, and Saul found out about this, became jealous of David, felt threatened by David. And if you read the story of David's early adult years, Saul turned on him. It happened to David. It's his father-in-law. It's family. 
turned on him, and, and David spent the rest of his life hiding from Saul and running from Saul because Saul's intention was to kill him. I don't recommend you deal with your family issues that way, brothers and sisters. But that's what Saul wanted to do. And that brings us to Psalm 142, because most scholars think that 1 Samuel 22, 1 Samuel 22, and that's where you find, in 1 Samuel, you find the story of David, the history of David. It's in 1 Samuel 22, we find the context for Psalm 142. And we know this because of the maskil that is at the beginning of the psalm. And have you ever noticed some of the psalms, when, when you begin to read them at the top, there's, there are little words and sometimes it'll say a contemplation or a masculine, depending on what version of your Bible. And this one has that. Psalm 142 says it. It's a, and it says, when David was in the cave, uh, when, a prayer when David was in the cave. And Psalm 20, in 1 Samuel 22, David has fled to the cave of Adullam for refuge. So this is when he's in the cave. So we, we can connect the dots. And so... Let's figure out what's going on in 1 Samuel 22 to help us understand Psalm 142. And so in 1 Samuel 22, Saul won't let up chasing him. So David tries to join the Philistines who are the enemies of Israel. So sometimes the old saying is the enemy of, the, of my enemy is my friend. And so David thought he would try that. The problem was this is the David that killed the Philistine giant Goliath. This is the David that defeated, helped lead, defeat their enemy. This is a David that had gone out and fought against these Philistines and they weren't having any of it. They said, we don't trust you. As a matter of fact, they were going to kill him. And so he feigned insanity and acted like a crazy man. And, and in that time, you didn't hurt crazy people. You just got them out of the way. They were a little superstitious and that's the only thing that saved David's life. So now he's running by himself, goes into a cave. He's all by himself. No one is with him to stand with him. No one's there to encourage him. No one's there to give him assistance. Yes, he's a strong man. Yes, he's a warrior. Yes, he's, he has tremendous faith in God, but you just have to hear me today. He's reached a low point in his life. Y'all with me? You can be big and strong, men, and reach a low point in your life. Okay, this has nothing to do with your physicality. It has nothing to do with your tenaciousness or your determination. Sometimes enough will hit you in life that it knocks you down. This is what happened to David. He was overthrown, and the man, I put in my notes, the man who was Israel's hero is now a fugitive zero. So here's another question that I want to ask you. Have you ever felt overwhelmed and overcome in life because of multiple things hitting you all at once. I have. Multiple times in my life. I want to talk about that for a little bit. Now, if you haven't, it's like I say to you, you've heard me use this phrase, just keep on living. That's what I tell you. If some of these things I preach hasn't happened to you yet, that's okay. Take notes. There will be a test. The test of life. But boy, you can reach a place where you're burdened down and you're drained of energy and you're taxed to the point of exhaustion. You can reach a point where it's an effort to move and you are simply functioning. It's a bad place to be. 
if one more person pulls on you, if somebody asks you one more question, if you have to meet with one more person, if you have to make one more decision, you're going to explode. It's amazing how something in life that was once a joy, too much of it can now become a burden. It can become a prison where you enjoyed going to work or you enjoyed relationships or whatever, and then it goes south and someone turns on you and things go bad, all of a sudden you, before you had such wonderful freedom and now you feel trapped. That's why David said in verse seven, God bring my soul out of prison because he felt stuck. He's stuck. I can't go live a normal life like everybody else in the land of Israel because if I step foot in the public arena, somebody's going to tell Saul, the next thing you know, there's going to be five spears thrust through me. I'm stuck. I'm in a prison. I have to run in the wilderness and in caves and hide. And you can get stuck and be miserable and stare off into space and your mind keeps shutting down and you don't have any downtime and it's a bad place to be. And I put in my notes, thinking about life, any number of things can contribute to you reaching this place. You can get overworked. You can, it can be dealing with your children. It can be stress in your marriage. It can be multiple tragedies and or difficulties assailing you all at once. It can be spiritual warfare. It can be chronic health issues. So when this happens to me, I want several things to happen, and I want to see if, if you want what I want. And, I, and I'm not just talking about me today because I see David feels the same way. When I get to that place, and I'm a go-getter, I'm high energy, I'm built for speed, not comfort, okay? But when I, I've had those moments when the wind's knocked out of me and, I, and just life's overwhelming, me, I'm just going to be honest. I, I want somebody to pamper me a little bit. Hey, anybody, anybody honest enough to admit it? That's one little pampering. Now I don't have to have, I don't have to have overboard pampering. I, I just want a little attention, somebody to notice what I'm going through, a little pep talk, a little encouragement. Okay, just somebody say, listen, it'll be all right. Sometimes just it'll be all right. My mother has this. My mom's here today. My mom's got that gift. I've had some times where the doctors have had some tests. I call my mom. I'm all tore out of my frame. Son, you're going to be all right. Well, when mama says it, it must be true. My mother wouldn't lie to me. So mama say, it'll be all right. I said, okay, well, then I'm fine. And it's amazing what just a little pep talk will do, isn't it? It's just a little word of encouragement. Somebody say, you okay? You okay? Tell me about it. You want to talk? Sometimes I want to talk. Sometimes it's getting it off your chest. It helps because now somebody else is there with you in it. But the reality is sometimes the people who love you the most fail you in those times. It can be your parents. It can be your children. It can be your spouse. It can be the pastor. It can be your coworkers, the boss, your friends. And there are reasons for this. Sometimes it's just they're ignorant of what you're going through. They don't know what you're going through. Especially some of you don't talk and you hold it all in. and You never share with anybody. And then you wish, why don't somebody help me? Well, it's because you're holding it all in. They don't know. Another reason is some people just haven't, I've learned this, some people have an inability to sympathize. Okay, some people just don't. I don't want to pick on Leah. She's back taking care of your babies in the nursery today. 
but, but Leah will tell you she doesn't have much in that, neither does my sister. One day, Sonia was at the house years ago, and I got one of those big old giant golden bees, Japanese whatever giant thing, stung me in the hand. I swelled up. I went in there. I, they were in the house. I said, y'all, I've been stung by a bee, and they just kind of looked at me. I said, y'all, I think it went straight to the bone, and instead of them helping me, they just died laughing. I said, this ain't funny. I got nothing from them. Some people don't have that gift. Some people are wrapped up in their own world. Some people, you tell them what's going on, they'll look at you and you know, they'll say, you just need to suck it up. Well, that helps a lot. I ain't got any air to suck up. It's all been knocked out of me. Don't you get it? You need to toughen up, just toughen up. Well, that may work for some people, but when you're down, that doesn't work for you. You talk to some people and you'll try to tell them what's wrong with you and they'll say, you think that's bad? And they'll start telling you all your problems. Like two old people, two senior adults do that. The older I get, I'm finding where I do that. Hey man, I had a partial knee replacement. Oh, you think that's bad? I've had both my knees, both hips, and this had my rotator cuff done. Well, praise the Lord. I'm going to find somebody else. Don't You ain't no help. Come on, do y'all know what I'm talking about? David wanted somebody to pamper him, somebody, but it wasn't happening. That's why you say, how do you know this? Because in verse four, he said, there is no one who acknowledges me. Do you hear it? How many, how many are glad the Bible is right where we live? They're like, nobody's, no, nobody's paying attention to me, what I'm going through. David said the same thing. So I need pamper. Second thing it is, I need a break. Sometimes I just need a break, okay? I need a reprieve. Sometimes I just need sleep. I've had times as Leah, just, if I can just get a good night's rest, I'll be all right. Give me another day and I'll be good. Sometimes I need to be left alone. How many of y'all love me time? How many find out the older you get, you like me time? My wife is wonderful. My wife loves sports. She played sports. I've never, she's never fussed about me going hunting or golfing. And we're at the stage of life now where I'm getting on her nerves in the house. She says, why don't you go play golf? Just get out. Can you not go fishing? I said, you want me to? Yes, I want you to get out. And she's just wanting some me time. But I've been at places where in my life, and for me, that's getting outside and recreating. That's my thing. Yours may be something else. But there have been times in my life when the boat sat in storage and the golf club stayed in the garage because I didn't have time to go do those things. There's too much going on. And my dad used to say, you need to get the wind between your ears. And, and I like to get the wind between my ears. And then I'm better. And, and let me just give you a couple examples of my life. You may be able to identify with this. I don't nap. I just don't nap. If I nap, I'm sick. I mean, I have to be sick or exhausted. And how many of you are going to go home today and take a nap? How many of you take Sunday naps? Okay. You're not going to admit it. The other half of you are, you, you cowards. You will. Wait a minute, let me ask your wife, how many of your, your husband, how many of your spouse are going to go home and take a nap today? Oh, they're the hands. Yeah, there they are. I know who to ask. I can't do that. I can't, but I'm cursed. Because if I need to take a nap, those moments when I, my body's just screaming, and I take a nap, soon as I'm just about to drift off into sleep, my phone rings. My phone ring. My phone wouldn't ring 20 other times at that moment. 
but you let me go to sleep, and then the phone rings, and it's one of you. cursed it happened to me this week I don't know what happened but one night this week couldn't sleep woke up 2.30 in the morning couldn't go back to sleep laid there till 5.30 got up worked all day Leah said how are you making it I said I don't know because I'm you look I'm old I admit it I can run on about six hours I'm good I don't sleep long anymore okay I can do five but this has been like three and, and I'm and I'm starting to just get the end of the day, and I'm just, you know, zombie. She said, how are you making it? I said, I don't know. I'm running on fumes. I went to bed. I needed a good night's rest. I now got to make up for two nights. I just, and I don't sleep in. I don't set an alarm clock because I wake up early. I wake up a lot of times five something in the morning. I don't even have to set an alarm clock. I just wake up early. I wake up and it's still dark. And so, I just looked, but I thought I need to sleep in in the morning. <laughs> you know, for me, that might be eight or 8.30 or whatever, I don't know, but I said, I just got to let my body rest. And I'd been sick. Never happens. I go to bed. I'm sleeping. Y'all, I was dreaming. Oh, it was good, whatever it was. And at 7.15, my phone rang. 7.15. Who calls anybody at 7.15 in the morning? Well, in this case, it was serious. And I had to come to, and it was a very serious situation. And I hung the phone up, and I had that, that situation was a lot more important than, than my rest. But at the point, my point was, why does it always have to, why couldn't it happen two days from now, two days ago when I got a good night's rest? Now, before you go out of here saying, my God, my pastor's cursed, I'm not really cursed, okay? I don't think if you're a child of God, you can be cursed by the devil, okay? But I just have, y'all have bad timing. I'm going to blame it on y'all. No, I'm just kidding. Just my point is, you get to times in your life when you really need it, and then it seems like there are things taking it from, y'all with me? Am I the only one there or y'all there? Okay. What I'm saying is, it's possible to reach the point in your life where you feel like your life is out of control and nobody cares about you. And that's how David felt. No one cares for my soul. And I know this message right now may not hit but just a handful of people, but it's the one the Lord gave me today. And there might be a handful of people here today, maybe more than a handful, that you're on the edge of your seat right now because you're thinking, have you been watching my life, Pastor, what I've been going through? Because that's the way I feel right now. And it's a terrible feeling, it's a lonely feeling, it's a depressing feeling, it's a hopeless feeling. But I came here today with good news. If you're a child of God, it's a false feeling. Because even though you may not feel like the people that should care are caring, I can tell you right now, there is one that does care. David found it out. I'm here to remind you this morning, your heavenly Father cares. And my heavenly Father watches over me. God always cares. He cannot help but care for you. Have you ever thought about that? He can't help it. It's his nature. He loves you. He can't help but love you. I, one of my favorite verses, he is a present help in your time of trouble. 
present. He's always there. He's always listening, always sympathizing, always understanding. He's really, Pastor? Yes, the Lord is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. For the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and abounding in mercy. That's God. Isn't that a great verse? Don't make him some mean, harsh God. He's not. He's a wonderful, gracious God. And when you cry out to him, he takes time to listen to you. And he does things for you. You you may not even be noticing it, but he comforts your soul. He'll ease your mind. He will reduce the stress. He'll touch you with his divine power to help you make it through. And for we Pentecostals, and I've shared some stories with you, and you have stories. If it gets bad enough, you'll start praying in that heavenly language that is for personal edification. And when you get through, your circumstance may not have changed, but something's happened inside of you, and you've got a peace that says, whoo, everything's going to be all right. That's the power of Pentecost, one of the many things of being filled with the Spirit. Verse 5, David said to God, you are my refuge. A refuge, a place I can run to, my safety net, my high ground, my rock, my fortress. God's like a tent that you can run under so that the rain can't get to you. God's, God's the storm seller. Think, think with the Wizard of Oz. He's the storm seller. When, when, when I was born in Winfield, Kansas, and I don't remember it, but of course my mom and dad were there, and they've, my grandparents were there. They lived in Kansas for a while. My mom and dad have told me stories how tornadoes just spawn out there and here was a tornado coming and you ran down into the storm cellar and that would keep you safe till the storm, till the tornado passed by and I'm here to tell you God is your storm cellar. The tornado can't touch you. There's an old song. I don't normally do this. I'll sing them but I don't normally take this but there's an old song that, that is one of my favorites. It says, My Savior Cares. Now, if you're older, you might know it. If you're not, you're younger, ooh, pay attention. I won't sing it to you, but let me just tell you the verses. This songwriter had it going on. Does Jesus care, verse 1, when my heart is pained too deeply for mirth or song? As the burdens press and the cares distress and the way grows weary and long. Verse 2, does Jesus care when my way is dark with a nameless dread? And fear. As the daylight fades into deep night shades, does he care enough to be near? Verse 3 Does Jesus care when I've tried and failed to resist some temptation strong? When my when for my deep grief there is no relief, though my tears flow all the night long. You ever had one of those nights? Verse 4 Does Jesus care when I've said goodbye to the dearest on earth to me? And my sad heart aches till it nearly breaks. Is it aught to him? Does he see? And then the chorus says, oh, yes, he cares. I know, I know he cares. His heart is touched with my grief. When the days are dreary and the long nights weary, I know, I know my Savior cares. Somebody needed that this morning. And then it gets better. I love how there's a segue in the psalm 
And this is where I can minister to high praises. This is a rally point. Y'all still with me? David then, as God is ministering to him and he's finding out, hey, I'm not all by myself. I have God. He finds out that God is able to mobilize his people on his behalf. And David all of a sudden says, hey, I haven't had anybody taking care of me, but all of a sudden I'm realizing the righteous shall surround me. The guy who said nobody cares now says they're coming. They're coming. And sure enough, if you read 1 Samuel 22, it says that his brothers and all his father's house went down to the cave and stayed with David. And this story tells me that when someone you know and love feels like no one cares, brothers and sisters, that's your powerful opportunity to be a blessing to them. So can I help you this morning? Three things. One, be alert to those around you. Don't be so selfish. Look out, the Bible says, look out not only for your own interest, but for the interest of others. That's in the Bible. So be alert. Look for the signs. Listen for the signs. Somebody seems like something's wrong. Ask them, are you okay? Pamper them, are you okay? Tell me what's going on. Talk to me. The second thing you want to do is listen to people. Don't, don't start telling them all your problems. Just listen. Counselors will tell you that 80%, professional counselors will tell you that 80% of counseling is listening. Sometimes you just need to get it off your chest. The Bible says in Galatians 6.2, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, which is the law of love. Let me just teach you something that's so simple. When you listen to me, you're helping bear my burden. You're taking my burden on yourself. Tell me about it. Let me hear it. Let me feel what you feel. Let me know what you feel. Talk to me. Listen to people and then help if you can. Something you may say, something you may do may alleviate their load. I remember years ago when our offices used to be where the guest services is. One of our members called me, tore out of his frame. His company, I think, had gotten bought out, and he got a pink slip, and he's fired. He has two little girls. He's got a mortgage. He said, what am I going to do? I said, where are you now? I said, come by the church. And he came by the church and sat in my office, and this is a big, strong man. He wept like a baby, terrified, what am I going to do? I encouraged him and challenged him, and I tried to tell him what I've told a lot of people. I said, you know what I've seen God do through the years is if you lose your job, sometimes the Lord lets that happen to move you to something better. And I kept telling and that's exactly what happened. And I've seen it happen time and again with God's people. But at that moment, he, it was hard to see that. After we had talked and shared, I knew he loved to hunt. I said, what are you doing right now? He said, I guess I'm not doing anything. I said, good, go home, get your stuff. I said, let's go hunt tonight. He said, really? I said, yeah, come on, you need to get outside. And I took him deer hunting. And he told me later, he said, I never had a pastor who would just drop what they were doing and take me to, he said, he never forgot what I did for him. He said, but that's not much. Well, maybe not. But at the moment, I knew that's what he loved to do and that's what get his mind off of it. And I just wanted to get out there with him. I'm just telling him, if you can do something, find out what you can do. I know 
honestly, we have a little longer service today. But I'm going to tell you a story that I've told before, and all the teenagers should love this. I love telling this story. It's a true story, and, and, and a lot of you have heard it, but some of you have not heard this story. When you pastor a church 25 years, you're going to hear the same story. I thought about just number them. Just say number eight. There we go. Let's move on. But I won't do that. But true story, there was a, there was a guy, teenager, teenager, got off a bus, bus stop at his neighborhood. Another boy gets off the bus. He doesn't know this kid. They live in the same neighborhood. They just don't interact. That kid had a handful of books. When he got off the bus, his books tipped and dropped and went all over the ground. Papers went everywhere. People just from the bus kept walking by, and that guy, kid just dropped his head. And the young man who was standing there, who never talked to him, was a born-again Christian, and I really believe the Holy Spirit was moving in that young man. He probably didn't even know it, but he could see something's wrong. Didn't know what, but he could just see. And instead of going on, he stopped what he was doing, and he started picking up, helping him pick up his books and hand them to him. And the young man said, I really appreciate that. And the Christian young man said, tell you what, so what are you doing? Why don't you come over to the house? First time, you know, they had never really interacted. So he came over to the house, and they watched TV and ate snacks and whatever, and then the young man went on to his house. That was the end of it. That was in the ninth grade. Okay, four years go by, and it's graduation. And they're in the same grade, and they're standing in graduation line. Probably never going to see each other again. And the young man that was in, with his head hung down, Christian boy, they're standing there together, the young man whose head had been hanging down four years later said, can I say, tell you something? He said, do you remember four years ago when I got off the bus and dropped my books and you helped me pick them up? And to be honest, the, the boy had forgotten about it. He said, I don't, I don't remember it. He kept telling it. He said, finally, he said, yeah, now that you mention it, I do remember that. Now, he said, I'd forgotten about it. He said, well, what you didn't know, he said, my parents were getting a divorce. I was, I was beside myself. I thought it was my fault. I didn't know what to do. My girlfriend had just up, broken up with me. I was doing terrible in school, and he said, I didn't know how to cope with it, and he said it was the wrong thing to do, but I had written a suicide note, and he said I was going to the house, and I was already going to take my life. I didn't want to live anymore. And he said, I get off the bus, and I drop all my books, and that was like, that's it. I can't live anymore. And he said, then you picked up my books. And he said, what you don't know, this is what he told him. This is what makes this story so powerful. He said, what you don't know, he said, is when you picked up my books, you picked me up. You picked me up. And you invited me to the house, and we watched television, played video games, and you got me back realizing that there is somebody who cares. And I got my head on straight, and he said, obviously, I didn't do what I was going to do, and I made it through. And he said, we may not ever see each other again. He said, but I just want to tell you, thank you for being there for me. Brothers and sisters, we cannot get so busy, so wrapped up in our lives, that we can't be conscious that when somebody around us is struggling Sometimes you just got to stop what you're doing and say, what's going on? Can I help? And it's amazing the difference it can make in somebody's life. The last thing, and I'll close with this. The story tells me that once you've been at a place where you feel no one cares, you can help others get through. When you get through it, when God brings you through it, I think you have a sympathy, you have an empathy, you have an understanding 
And it's very interesting that in 1 Samuel 22, the writer says, everyone who was in distress, everyone who was in debt, everyone who was discontented gathered to David, and so he became captain over them. Others who felt like nobody cared discovered that the guy who at one time felt like nobody cared, cared. And he could care because he had been through the time in his life when he felt like nobody cared. And then his family came and was there for him. And now these people are coming to him and they're feeling like they've got nothing and their lives are upside down and they're discontented and nobody cares. And David said, come on with me, I'll care. And here's, listen to me, this is a great part of the story. You're not gonna know this one. And the, these people became his his, his military force, the foundation of his military force. They became David's warriors. And eventually, they became participants in the administration of his kingdom. And the truth there is, when you see somebody that's low, and nobody seems to care, and you give them attention, and you help them, and you bring them out of this, then you help them to be restored to the place where then God's destiny for them can be fulfilled. And it might even be tied to your destiny. And God can do things through them that can ultimately benefit you. You never know what God is doing when you reach out to somebody. I, I have to quit. It's 11.20. I want you to stand with me. If I had to personalize this, <clears throat> 25 years ago, so 23 years ago, 20, 24 years ago, we, were, we had planted this church. My stress level was through the roof. I had relocated my family. I bought a house for the first time. Uh, started a church. You talk about all the, all the stress factors. If you ever look on that sheet that has all those stress factors, mine was through the roof. leading a church, got us in debt with building programs, million dollar, million and a half dollars were just things I'd never done before, 32, 33, 34 years of age. I'm in uncharted waters, never never done this. And one night, didn't know what it was, had a full-blown panic attack. I thought I was dying. I collapsed on the floor. I told Leah, I said, I'm dying. She said, you're not dying. I said, I'm dying. She said, I'm telling you, you're not gonna die on me. She called the ambulance never had an ambulance in my life. They took me to the hospital, Anderson Hospital. My blood pressure when they got there was 220 over 110. Stroke level. 33 years of age. It's panic attacks. They took me to the hospital. They ran tests. They said, you're young, you're athletic, you're in shit. They said, there's nothing wrong with you. And I started having major panic attacks twice in the school. I got up to preach, read my text, and waves of panic swept over me and I shut my Bible and I said, I can't do this and walked off the stage. Left the congregation sitting there. It happened twice. Couldn't preach. I, I got to the point where I thought my life was over. I, heard, I had the devil one day whispering in my ear saying, I'm going to destroy you and I'm going to destroy this church. I was fighting hell. Listen to me. I was fighting hell while I was fighting panic attacks. 
And somehow, through the wonderful grace of God and people who surrounded me, I made it through that. I learned how to cope. I got some medicine. There's nothing wrong with taking medicine for depression and stuff like that. And if you don't have it, don't criticize people who do fight depression and anxiety. You don't understand. Don't be critical. Be sympathetic. Church says, don't be critical. Just toughen up. You don't toughen up. You don't toughen up your way out of it. It's not how it works. It's chemical. Okay? Somehow God helped me to learn how to, what to avoid, what to do, and I began to, got to where I could function. Okay? But one Sunday, I didn't know what to do. It was in the, it was in the school, and I got up. I said, I'm going to have to be very transparent today. I'm having panic attacks. One of the hardest things for a grown man to do is admit weakness in front of a crowd publicly. I said, I'm having panic attacks, and I don't know how to deal with them, and I don't know what to do. So I've got two or three men in this church that I've asked to bring a Sunday school lesson and a sermon. One could preach, the other could teach. And then if I ever have a panic attack and I have to get off this stage, I've asked those men to come up and minister to you, and I may have to leave. Oh, you talk about that. That was one of the hardest things I ever did in my life. But I didn't know. I just figured a good defense is a good offense. I didn't know what to do. I just thought I got to just be honest with people. And the Lord began to give me victory. And then what happened for the last these last twenty something years? What's happened is because I've been public about it and been open about it. Can't not tell you the times that people have called me, come by the office, and said, "I'm fighting panic attacks. I don't know what to do. It's it's destroying me." Talk to me. You went through it, and I have been able to help countless people. See. And I was at a point where I wondered if anybody cared about me. I reached such a low point, and yet people surrounded me, and God brought me through. My church surrounded me, brought me through. My family surrounded me, just like David brought me through. And see, I'm telling you, now I love to help other people when, who go through panic because I've been there and I know what they're going through. So what's the point of this message today? It's real simple. We keep this one simple today and do a general prayer. Let's all be his hand extended, reaching out to the oppressed. Let me touch him. Let me touch Jesus so that others may know and be blessed. Let, let's, be, let's be people that God can use. And if the other side of this coin is, if you're here today and you're saying, Pastor, you've been preaching to me, I want you to hear me one more time. God is your refuge. God knows where you are. God cares about you. You're going to come through this. And we're here for you. Your church is here for you. You hear me? You're not alone. You're not alone. You may feel alone, but you're not alone. I talked to somebody last night that I love dearly who said the person that, I, that used to be the one that cheered me on is gone. I said, well, then you know what? I'll be that person. Don't you carry this by yourself. You call me. Call me. Pick up the phone and call me, and I'll be there for you. So can we just have a general prayer? Pastor Billy, y'all just sing softly something beautiful and applicable. But can we all over this house just lift our hands gently to the Lord? And if you say, Pastor, you preach to me, will you just cry out to the Lord and say, Lord, thank you that you care for me. Just help me through my time. Bring me through it, God. You brought David out. Bring me out. Just come on, cry out to the Lord. Let the Holy Spirit minister to you. Let the Holy Spirit speak peace and comfort to you right now and, and, and help you to, to, to not have this desperation, but instead have a peace and a faith and an assurance you're going to be okay. We're, we're with you. You're not alone. Somebody cares. 
I care, your church cares, God cares. And for the rest of us, will we just all pray? Can every saint of God say, Lord, help me to be better at sympathizing. Help me to be a vessel you can use to help people, God, that are no low point. Help me to be like that Christian boy, God, if I need to pick up somebody's books. Come on, start praying all over this church. Father, in the name of Jesus, God, help us to be your people. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings in person or online at 10 a.m. For more information or to watch our services online, please visit us at www.highpraises.org or check us out on social media.